Here's three great reasons to get the new Samsung Galaxy S21 5G at T-Mobile. One, it's free for both current and new customers when you trade in an eligible device. Two, T-Mobile's the leader in 5G coverage. So three, you can unleash 5G speeds in more places with your new phone. Get the new Galaxy S21 free at T-Mobile, the leader in 5G coverage. Phone via 24 monthly bill credits plus tax. If you cancel credit, stop and balance on required finance agreement may be due. Contact us. Qualifying credit and consumer plan required. See details at T-Mobile.com. Blog Talk Radio. Do it smooth for the 21st century. Reality music. Wisdom and power of the Rastaman from the island of Jamaica to Hawaii Tonight is Tuesday, and uh, we have Brother Robert X with us. 
mostly on Mondays and Tuesdays, uh, he comes with us, joins us with his form. And so um, very interesting subject that he's talking about now. He's talking about uh, the Bible, the body, and cosmic Christ consciousness. So um, things that you were told about in the Bible, you're going to get a whole different perspective on it. Greetings and Hotep, Brother Robert X. Hotep, Sister Bell. Hotep family. So can you hear me? Uh, interesting. Yes, we can. Oh, okay. Yes, we can. What, what, okay. what is your uh, email before we get started? Okay, uh, you can contact me at mccray. R nine five nine nine at yahoo dot com. All right. Okay, Robert. And and now I'm, where do we get process of that? Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm a little behind, but uh, I hope to catch up uh, this week. You know, I've, I've got a full schedule here. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I'll I'll only be able to do maybe 15 minutes afterwards in terms of questions today because I've got to get up. I have an appointment in the morning, so. Okay. I, I won't okay. stay on to 11 or anything like that, which I normally will accommodate any and all people who may have questions, but I've, I've got to cut it off a little bit early tonight, okay. if that's early. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's good. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a very, very fascinating, uh, detail-oriented discussion, uh, and I would guess that it would be considering you're talking about people's entire lives being predicated on their belief systems. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, sometimes you have to deal with people's whole life when you deal with this kind of thing. So it, it requires a great deal of detail, uh, listening, uh, understanding. And I say again, um, you must have an open mind, the African people, because I think out of all the people on the planet, if we're honest with ourselves, I don't care which one of them you have, you will have to admit these religions that we tend to subscribe to aren't really solving the problems. And then there'll be some people who say uh, the problems don't have to be solved. Just leave it in whatever Messiah's hand you choose to leave it in, and it'll take care of itself. Unfortunately for us, that doesn't seem to be the case either. And then people will come back and say, well, you can't put a time limit on the particular Messiah. Well, we are creatures of time, cosmic or physical time. That's what we are. Uh, Our sojourn on this planet is a time-oriented construct. We are all bound by the limits of life and death. That's time, okay, in terms of our manifestation uh, on this planet into the physical. Now, of course, beyond the physical, which is other dimension uh, uh, in, in, in terms of reality, but that's beyond the physical. Uh, there is no time. Okay? That's, that's why they call that the zero point, the point at which uh, there is no beginning and no end. Is it really a beginning and an ending? Is it the, uh, the alpha and the omega are one and the same? The yin and the yang are one and the same. Male and female are one and the same. And so that's the point that we're at here. Uh, because, again, 
And I know it sounds um, kind of wild in a way uh, to say that male and female are one when we see ourselves as different. But I would ask you to consult <laughs> the body construct, and you'll see that while there are differences, the similarities are overwhelming down to the chemical construction because one has to bring forth the trinity. But that trinity cannot exist or manifest without the other. So the female can't manifest the trinity without the male and vice versa. So, uh, again, male and female, yin and yang, alpha and omega, can in fact be construed as being one and the same thing. The beginning and the end. What dictates well, the beginning? Go ahead, It shows you that when the fetus is uh, in the beginning, all fetus starts out as female. That is correct. And then after so many weeks, it, it decides, or however it works, it, it's either stay a female or it turns into a male. So that makes that you correct. know right there it's one and the same. No question about it. And these are things that we can't get away from, although certain religious dogmas will attempt to move us away from that. I'm saying you can't get away from it. No more than we can get away from the fact that the, the, there are two species on this planet, male and female, in almost every circumstance, be it plant, animal, or mineral. There's not four or five different species. Man is the only one who's arrogant enough to attempt to create species outside of the norm. So now we got LGBT, which seeks to give us any number of different species. And if you consult your scripture, the last time man attempted to play uh, uh, this mythical God in terms of not understanding uh, the whole creative process, he created things that were of animal and man. And as a result, he suffered tremendously because of that. So I see us going right back to that today with chimeras and, and things of that nature. Uh, the scientists in the lab producing half half man, half goat, and half man, half dog, half man, half sheep. And it, it's really interesting because I tuned into a program last night, and they were talking about literally reproducing uh, organs suitable for implants in humans, but they were talking about, uh, growing those organs in animals so that you can take a cow and produce male lungs or uh, human lungs in the cow through genetic manipulation and have the cow slaughtered so that you can get the lung using your DNA. Okay? And, Which and, means uh, some, some cows, Robert X, they have a big old hole in them where they stick their hands inside of the cow. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we headed towards something um, I align with things that already have taken place. So we're really heading back to the future. If you look at it properly, we're heading back to the future here. And, uh, again, I think that that, that area is uh, filled with considerable dangers in terms of, again, man attempting to become something that he already has the capacity to become inwardly, at least human. I'm not so sure about these other people because they, send, they tend to synthesize everything. They have to recreate 
everything to make themselves feel good about them being, according to themselves, the new gods of the planet. Mm-hmm. And I'll, let's be serious. This is where we are today. This is how these people view themselves. They do not view themselves as part of the human family. They consider themselves beyond the human family. Okay? And once we understand that, I, it's not so difficult to to understand the things that we're going to be talking about and the things that we started talking about yesterday in terms of uh, B.C., again, before Christ. And many of these things that we're talking about were, in fact, done before Christ. But in the uh, current manifestation of B.C., we simply say it's the Bible, the body, consciousness, because we're headed towards uh, that domain in reality as far as my research, but again, mankind is attempting to synthesize the whole process and even create the environment where you think something is occurring, but it's actually artificial. So you think that certain scriptures is being manifested, but there's that wizard behind the scene that's manipulating everything to give you the impression that certain things are occurring, Because then he can dictate what your actions are going to be. And that's extremely important because that, again, is part of this psychological paradigm that we exist in today where, as I've said for years now, everything is predicated on manipulating the people using psychology. Everything. And so uh, you will see people being treated, all right? This is Obamacare. That's why, you know, sister, we have to really be careful with, you know, praising people based on positions in a system of white supremacy because people think Obamacare is really about health care. And I keep saying nothing could be further from the truth. It's about control. That's what it is. It's about control. And so what's happening is the government, seeks to control the people using psychology as a primary control mechanism, okay, using health care and the access of your medical records by the government who will have the capacity based on psychological designations from the medical community, from the psychological community, which is a fake paradigm, classify you, and therefore dictate who you are, what you are allowed, where you are allowed to go. All that's coming from Obamacare. And don't forget, Robert X, they have in there where they you could be hung or you could be shot if you don't uh what is it take the chip or or cuz they already saying you have to have medical insurance that's big That is correct. Okay. Or they can lock you up. Yeah. Hang so, you or I mean, That is correct. So this is where we head in family and I know, you know, African people are very suspect people when it comes to people who are who are dangled out here before us who got a nice smile. That smile ain't so nice today, and that head ain't so black as it used to be. 
He's aged about 30 years in the last eight. If that's him. Got to always add that because of, again, the capacity of these people to create clones. So we can never leave that out. And they tell you what they're doing. They don't necessarily hide it. It just requires some thinking beyond the norm in order to really figure out what these people are doing. So while they're telling you that uh, China is in the process of to begin human cloning, it's just like with the computer system. They'll always point the finger at somebody else as being primary hackers and this kind of thing. But when you look beneath the surface, there ain't nobody that hacked and and do nefarious things with people's computer systems like this government in Israel. No one. But they always want to point the finger at something else. I'll give you another example. They've always considered black people hyper-violent in this country. Right? But when you look at it, there's no group of white people on this planet armed like the white people in this country. Well, maybe Switzerland. But I'm not so sure about that because Switzerland is not a primary weapons producer. So while these people claim and give the impression that they are against violence and guns, they are the largest weapons manufacturer and seller. Nobody else is even close. This is what they do. So while they're telling you guns are bad, then why are you arming the whole planet? Or anybody that will buy them if they're so bad. It's like the people who come to this country and claim to be Muslim and not supposed to have pork, right? But somehow they ain't got no problems coming into the black community selling pork. But wait a minute. You're not even supposed to be near that stuff. Let's not touch it. You're not even supposed to be near it. So, again, the contradictions of Stark and all religions on their own are not bad. Unfortunately, we have to view them through the prism of the eyes of man. And man, including myself, is extremely flawed. And so you expect the religious teachings to be flawed. I don't care which one of them you got because they're literally being interpreted by man. And so that's why uh, analyzing uh uh, the various religions become extremely important. They are the domains of the analysis of man, a flawed creature, in spite of the fact that a Judeo-Christian or the system of white supremacy, because that's what it is, Judeo-Christian is the system of white supremacy, period, paragraph. But these people will tell you that that is the apex of all that is, and no one else can join that club while they've proven to be the most violent people in the history of the planet. <laughs> I mean, I, I always marvel at it, Sister Bell, because they'll point to, again, black people being so violent, right, when it's a wonder to me every day. I wonder how come black people, and this happens just rolls up and say to hell with it. These people got their feet on our neck, and at least if we're going to die, we're going to stop killing each other, and we're going to take some of them with us. That's the thing that's really uh, uh, not a part of the norm. That would be normal with any group of people. 
if you undergone what we've undergone in this country. You know, from slavery to Jim Crow to minority set aside. All right. We basically they're killing our they're killing our babies today. Absolutely. And it's all because of rules and regulations that they set up that we subscribe to because we have a leadership that's been compromised across the board to basically adhere to, to try to become a part of the system of white supremacy. No sane person would allow, seeing what's going on with us in this country today, will continue to, to put forth uh, an agenda that aligns itself with the thing that's killing you. No sane group of people. But again, when you look across the board, is we got to vote for these people because if we don't, the big bad Republicans going to come and eat us up. I'm sorry, but I read that fairy tale. I think it was called The Big Bad Wolf. I huff and I puff and I blow your house down. I read that fairy tale when I was a child. I'm an adult today, so it does not have the impact on me that it had on me as a child. Fear the big bad wolf. What I didn't understand was that the porridge was poison. And for anybody that don't want, don't understand what I'm saying, go drink some water from Flint, Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny, though, but yes, it is. I'm just saying the <laughs> porridge is poison. It ain't yes. just the wolf. It's the porridge, too. Yes. So... And we know the Democratic Party is allegedly making the porridge, providing the sustenance for us to exist. That is totally out of order. Totally out of order. Because if you look well, at most I... of the cities where the murder is occurring with black people, they're being run by the Democratic Party. But I think on one of the shows, Robert, as you have pointed out, when you when you do the research and look where the Democratic Party comes from, they started with the Ku Klux Klan because we no were originally Republicans. Mm-hmm. Republican. That's how acute the programming is. Because when you say that to the average black person today, they look at you as if, are you crazy? How could we possibly be them? Well, go look at the history. And you ain't got to go way back. Just go back to the 50s. Because <laughs> that's primarily when the changeover began. <laughs> We're not talking about 100 years ago. We're talking about a relatively new phenomena. Some of us crossed over uh, with uh, Roosevelt. But a lot of us understood that the South was primarily a democratic stronghold, and it was also the stronghold of the Ku Klux Klan, okay? So even the one of the more recent speakers of the House was the Grand Wizard, nationally, of the Ku Klux Klan. You've had Supreme Court justices who wear the same attire <laughs> as the Klan, uh, some of them were Klansmen. So today, they're not wearing white robes, $1,500 business suits, all right? Some of them call themselves attorneys. Some of them call themselves judges. Some of them call themselves politicians. Some of them call themselves teachers. But many of them call themselves police because it's not the attire. It's the mindset. 
it's the mind. And it's like I had an interesting conversation with one of the brothers uh, yesterday, or was it the day before? Anyway, and we were talking about, uh, as an example of programming the people and how if you take a look at this thing called the N-word, we've all heard that, right? And how the N-word is a psychological program only exists in media. And so I always ask people, when was the last time you were around black people outside of media and you heard them say the N-word? Every day. And the answer I don't hear anybody outside of I media. Hear... Oh, you're ahead. talking about saying the word in, not saying nigger. You're yeah, talking about just saying... exactly. Okay. okay. See, because I'm, I want the family to understand that this whole notion of using this phrase called the N-word was allegedly put in place to prevent people from saying it. But it's like kicking your shoes off in the mosque, okay? Once you leave the mosque, you don't walk around with shoes off. Your shoes back on upon leaving the mosque, okay? That's the domain of the media. So in the media, you hear this thing called the N-word, which really triggers nigger in your brain. Because... You have to know what N stands for. So anytime the N-word is used, that's bigger. But it's a psychological program, or it's a mosque where you could go in and take your shoes off, because that's the domain of somebody that basically puts the program in place. They call it political correctness. But outside of the mosque, outside of the domain of media, among whites and blacks, Niggas being used as if doesn't really, you know, the so-called N-word doesn't exist. That's how you know it's a psychological program that's a part of this fake paradigm called political correctness. Because white people still referring to folks as niggas include themselves. And black people still referring to niggas include themselves. So, I mean... That's the kind of situation I'm talking about here in terms of psychological programming of the people. And most people can't see it, particularly if they're in it. If you live in a mosque, not having no shoes on, it's quite normal. But if you're only a recent visitor, it's not a part of your reality. Well, the N-word being a psychological program or shoes is or not having any shoes is not a part of my reality outside of this fake paradigm called media. That's the only place you see that being used. So now you can begin, and that that's a very clear uh, description of how a psychological program works. Now you can. Ex- you can expand that to a whole host of other things, okay? And then you'll begin to see, uh, as I keep harping on, certain words and phrases that are that come out of mainstream media and how the programming, the people who are in mainstream media, nothing more than uh, programmable dummies for the most part, for lack of a better phrase. They're like a crash test dummy. 
you just put them behind the wheel of the car wherever somebody who's programmed the car to go to smash into a wall. Uh, that's what they do. They're just there to measure the damage. So Negroes in media, and I don't care if it's a politician, a president, or whatever, because that's how they get elected, using programming from the media. Outside of the programming, they really don't exist. They really don't. Therefore, to expect our situation to change based on outside programming is, again, it's a part of insanity. And that's why our conditions, for the most part, haven't changed. All right? And so you can you can literally, when you view these things outside of the, 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 the prism of the norm, the eyes that the programmers want you to see it through, and you begin to hear certain things, and then you hear everybody saying the same thing, you'll know that there's programming going on. And that's why certain words I refuse to use because I recognize the programming. And I'll bring it straight to the family to let you know so you can see it for yourself. You don't have to take my word for it. And what's dangerous is it works because you can hear people who literally can barely speak the English language. You'll hear them using these phrases. I'm talking about callers into certain radio programs. You'll hear them using this, each, everybody using the same phrase. That's why uh, we've tried to uh, illuminate the whole understanding of of media and and television and that whole complex uh, that basically uh, attempts to maneuver us to get us to act in a particular way or to respond in a particular manner. And and this is why you always hear me talking about Facebook and, and Twitter because and, that's just another way. And they've even admitted, as I, again, keep saying, they've admitted to the programming. I mean, just out, out admitted. The people that put the television in place to this day haven't admitted that it's programming people. But the the Internet and the people that control that are so bogus that they come right out, tell you, yeah, we're programming you. Now, try to stay away from from Facebook for a day and, and see what happens. And with some of those, um, those, phase, those programmable uh, words or phrases that they say? Okay, one of them that uh, – they probably still using them. I don't even know because I don't listen to it. But all at once, everybody, callers and media personalities, were all saying, thrown under the bus. I don't care where you went. You heard it. Nobody thought to question where it came from. Thrown under the bus. And there's another one that everybody's using now, uh, for some reason, I'm running a blank on it, and that's probably because I don't listen to <laughs> any of that media anymore, okay? But I remember that one, and you can come up with other ones. 
It's not difficult because all you got to do is listen from one caller to the next on mainstream media or one media personality to the next, one news program to the next. You'll hear the same phrases being used. And the only way that could occur across political and racial spectrum is if that's a program. Because one of them, some about the Internet of Things or something, I remember. I can't remember. I don't know about that one as much because, again, okay. that one uh, a couple of years ago, um, I, you know, I was long away from the media. But that one thrown under the bus, and uh, I know some of my family because I've, I've tried to, like we told everybody about uh, Sean Penn and uh, uh, Angelina Jolie and some of these other people being intelligence agents working for the CIA. So now when El Chapo, the so-called drug kingpin that was working for the DEA and the CIA, that's a matter of court record. (laughs) So Sean Penn, the government can't catch him, but Sean Penn go and interview him. Well, how did that happen? Because they all work for the same agency. They just work for different branches of it. Sean Penn works for the media programming branch. Serve as an ambassador like Angelina Jolie. They'll send them to Africa and surround them with, with starving little black uh, children. Okay. And I wonder what she's doing with the children, uh, blood or whatever that they over there doing with those children. Well, we can extrapolate on that to no end, Sister Bear. Uh, but suffice it to say, uh, these people, and there's, there's a long history, I mean a long history, of producers, directors, actors, etc., working for the intelligence community. This didn't just start today, and it hasn't ended. So we got to be, and whether we want to accept it or not, there are those who are in the singing capacity. I'll never forget, Louis Armstrong was anointed as an ambassador, and I forget to which country. Well, all the ambassadorships are CIA headquarters from one country to another. They're CIA headquarters. That's where they monitor, spy on other countries legally. So when Carol Mosley Blonde, uh, one of the first Negro senators here from Illinois, that's right, I said Carol Mosley Blonde. You may know her as Carol Mosley Braun because she was married to a Jew. That's how she got that Braun as her last name. Well, uh, once she lost her Senate seat after making an ass of herself, and that's very difficult because she was already an ass, um, after she lost that Senate seat, she was appointed as an ambassador to some European country. All that means is you basically are... um, uh, presiding over the intelligence that c- that comes back to the embassy from our spies in the various countries. And the United Nations basically serves in that same capacity. So you'll see intelligence people uh, like uh, Sean Penn and uh, uh, Angelina Jolie and her husband. I think if you, re- if you go back, Sister Bev, you may recall we pointed out that her husband was making a movie. Uh, what's his name? 
Uh, uh, Pitt. Pitt. Brad Pitt. You can Google yeah. this family. Brad Pitt was busted in the Russian Federation trying to smuggle weapons in. And when he got busted, he said that he thought that they were props. He didn't know that they were real guns, these cases of weapons. <laughs> and the other one, another very prominent spy, is at the top of the heap in Hollywood. Uh, I can never remember that guy's name. Uh, he has the sandy, sandy hair. He's the highest paid actor in Hollywood. White boy. Uh, I can never remember his name. Uh, he was in that movie, uh, uh, Tomorrowland. Okay, he he always gets tops billing in top billing in the movies. And I didn't want to stay on this, but I, I'm gonna add this as well because somebody brought it up to me. I understand that there's some hollering and screaming, and I'm gonna use a biblical phrase, and gnashing of teeth about Negroes not getting nominated for awards. Right. And, and now, see, I'm one of those people that follows movies, and I make an attempt to break them down to give them relevance in terms of things that happen that are happening today if they are relevant. And I'm here to tell you, family, that if you look at 2015 and you had to nominate a black person for an award, what movie would you give it for? Because I'm be honest, most of the stuff that you see black people in, uh, you got some Negro like Ice T, Ice Cube, etc., playing a cop, right? You got some woman in a supporting role trying to save some white girl or teach her something, okay? Uh, very rarely a starring role, very rarely, okay? Uh, but if you look at 2015, and I, I broached this question with several people. I said, name me a movie. And what's really interesting is both of them can only name one movie, and it didn't come out until a couple of weeks ago. And that was Concussion with, uh, I don't know what that guy is, okay, Will Smith. Mm-hmm. But that, that's the only movie both of them could come up with. They couldn't come up with anything else. And I say, you see, that tells you the state of where African people are in Hollywood. And here's the point. There's absolutely no excuse, none, in this age of mass media with all of the capital that black entertainment, I'm not talking about singularly, I'm talking about collectively, couldn't do because you don't need movie houses anymore. You can produce your own movies. You can program them where they can't be uh, uh, pirated. And you can sell your own movies. But if you want to stay on the plantation, which is what I consider all pro sports and all media, I don't care if it's singing, dancing, catching a ball, throwing a ball, whatever. It's all plantation-oriented, controlled by the people that finance the slave trade. It's still in place. It just exists there. So why would you be complaining that there ain't no owners in the NBA? You Negroes turned your shirt inside out when the little black guy got killed. But you Negroes have never challenged the system in terms of ownership. 
so they'll give you one. You got a, a Spike Lee. He making a, a movie every now and then. You got a couple other guys that's allowed to make a movie every now and then. But overwhelmingly, the plantation is run by the white folks. And what they'll do, and, and this is taking me to another point, what they'll do is they'll give you a Samuel L. Jackson uh, who played the, I love this word, can't hardly say it, but I love it, who played the quintessential role of what a house nigga is all about in Django. Every movie having to do with slavery and need a house nigga, they're going to recomprise the role that Samuel Jackson played in Django, where he was even telling the master what to do because that's what house Negroes do, okay? But now look, Samuel L. Jackson is the only actor in Hollywood, look at his family, that's allowed to maintain his humanity and even kill some white folks. He's the only one. Denzel is a close second, but Denzel makes one movie a year. Samuel Jackson is in half of the movies that come out in Hollywood. And in each situation, he's, he plays an adult. He doesn't play a clown, okay? He plays an adult. And I know people don't like him. I ain't overly fond of him, but I respect the role that he's in, particularly the movies that's done by Quentin Tarantino, who just got so-called blacklisted let's call it whitelisted, by the Fraternal Order of Police because he lined up on the side of, of, of blacks, African people protesting against police violence. And they said that they would boycott his movies. Now, if you've been following Quentin Tarantino's movies and you go and check his history, you'll find that he grew up around black people. And his mama, according to him, not me, his mama's best friends were black women. So all of his movies have shown white people for what they are. That's why, even in this latest movie, uh, Something Eight, the, the, the Crazy Eight, which is his eighth movie, and I know I'm off the subject matter, but it all uh, is a part of the subject matter. In this latest movie, Samuel Jackson is called a nigger at least 400 times. Because that's how white people view black people in reality. And so I respect hearing that in his movies. Somebody said, somebody said The Hateful Eight. The Hateful Eight. The best movie of 2015. Hmm. Okay. Now, for anybody that ain't seen it, go check it out. Come back and tell me because here's what happened. In the movie, Samuel Jackson is allowed to use pretense, right, because he's an ex-Union soldier uh, who's still bitter because people that he are around, uh, Confederate, ex-Confederates, who were slaughtering African people. And so he went about his business of finding and killing those people because he's a bounty hunter who have been slaughtering African people, using the pretense of law to do so. 
okay? And so what happens is he's in the company of a high-profile former Confederate officer whose son he had already killed and to position this high-profile Confederate officer in a position where you could kill him too, only black to be seen in the movie until the toward the end, where he maneuvers this general in a position by talking about his son and telling the general he had his son form fellatio on him before he killed him. <laughs> so quite naturally, that's going to make the Confederate general very angry, even in the company of all white people. He lays a gun next to the general so that the general can react to create the pretext where he can blow his brains out. And that's exactly what he does. But his witnesses are the sheriff, the new sheriff of the town that they're heading to, and the guy called the hangman, uh, who's also heading to town to hang this white woman. But all throughout the movie, calling him nigger, but his way of getting revenge, because this is the world of reality, is to take it until he can position himself in a place where he can respond in kind. And if you look at the movies that Quentin Tarantino has done with Samuel Jackson, in every single one of those movies, he's the driving force in the movie. Be he good guy or bad guy, he's never stupid. He's always intelligent, always, okay? In uh, the one that that, uh, that he did with uh, Pam Greer, uh, and I forget the name of that one too, but he was a gangster, but he was an, an intelligent gangster that was basically in charge of running white people. You will hear him refer to white people as niggas. Denzel took a page out of his notebook and got an Academy Award for calling the white boy in the movie Training Day, my nigga. You never hear that from black people in the movies, talking to white people. Never. But he did it, and they gave him an Academy Award for it. So I'm merely saying all that to say that I don't know of any movies in 2015 where black people have broken out of the slavery mode that they've been put in, right? And I didn't hear one complaint, not one, because they know that the slave master will basically banish them to obscurity if they open their mouth. So they accept the slavery uh, that's going on on that plantation known as Hollywood. And... They accept it in media because, again, I ain't heard none of them hollering and screaming about getting out of it. Have you? You see? So don't send some Negro preachers out here talking about we ain't got no Negroes that's going to get no award, boss. No. You got enough capital to produce your own movies, to put your own vision out there, but you're too damn scared and you're too blind who want to do anything, and it's the same way with Negro with Negro politicians. Because then they do that with Think Like a Man, and I think Ice Cube didn't they put their own uh, movie out? Yes, and, 
they don't want to take any losses. So if the movie ain't a good movie, it's going to lose money. But I say pull out, put out quality stuff, quality stuff, because you're at the apex of all of these fields if given the opportunity. So people around the world will buy your product if it's good product. How many people you see sitting in them stands watching them Negroes jump over each other and beat the hell out of each other on the football field? How many you see them white folks you see piled up in twenty, thirty thousand in a in a uh, in the stands watching these Negroes run up and down the court, uh, uh, jumping over each other and, and all this kind of stuff and pushing each other and beating the hell out of each other? How many white folks you see around that? The point is, we've accepted this slavery status, plain about it at the same time. Because we don't want to do for self. And so when, you get, when you're in a position where you don't want to do for self, you have to accept the crumbs that someone else gives you and stop complaining about it. I'm sick of hearing about it because I've seen that movie with Jesse Jackson in the lead role 30 years ago, talking about we ain't got no Negroes winning no awards, boss. So the next year they go find a Negro and they give him an award. And then they go into obscurity for the rest of their career because it's still a plantation that you own. And you ain't getting no starring roles. It's always supportive. As big a media draw as Samuel Jackson is, they always got him in a supportive role, always. So, and, and nobody can tell me that you look at the movies that he's in and he's carrying the damn movies. Because he carried Travolta when they played Hitman in the other Quentin Tarantino movie, uh, uh, yeah, uh, which uh, is a cult. A cult, yeah. Somebody, no, uh, cult fiction. Like, cult fiction. Yeah, 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 that's what it is. He's quoting the Bible, and what else is he doing? He's the boss of the hit team, he's the, the adult showing, uh, uh, basically, dictating to John Travolta how he should act in a particular hit. Quoting the Bible and killing folks. I mean, you can go up and down the line with all of these movies that this guy's in. And he's always playing a human. Always an adult. He's not playing a child. You're a clown. Outside of that, Sister Bear, I don't, you know, all of this comes back to how we we see ourselves and how we view ourselves based upon fake paradigms that we've been put in, okay? And we refuse to go and look outside of that box. But we're complaining about being in the box, but you ain't doing nothing to get out of it. That is the entire purview of why I'm doing what I'm doing now because I'm tired of seeing African people locked in this box, locked in a damn box. And in some cases, you got these house Negroes, and who could play? You show me another. I don't care. I've been watching movies all my life. I go back to, uh, to uh, 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 
Gone with the Wind with Butterfly McQueen and and the shit she had to deal with, even in getting her Academy Award, the white folks was hating her guts because she didn't play a part on the plantation. Hell, all she did was change her wardrobe and acted the way she would normally act in everyday life in America. That ain't hard to play no house, Negro. But Samuel L. Jackson is the prototype. He played the prototypical house Negro. He was even telling the boss what to do. And the boss had to set him straight. Well, you still a house Negro. Oh, yeah, the boss. I, I almost forgot, boss. And who was more harder on the African people than the house Negro? There was nobody, even the master, wasn't as hard on black people as that house Negro. Well, you can call it that still goes yeah. on today. You can call it a White House Negro. All they did was drop the white. I don't care if he's the number one house Negro or the number ten house Negro. He's still in the house. And his job is to serve the master faithfully, to incur favor. That's his job. There's, there's someone in the... Uh... And the chat room says that you stuck in the race. You need to look behind, uh, beyond it, and that every uh, white person is not racist or a slave, that this is a spiritual warfare going on. Well, <clears throat> let me put it like this. I deal with the physical and the metaphysical. I've said it time and time again. When you hear me talking about white people, I say it time and time again, and I hate to have to qualify this because I don't see white people qualifying their treatment of African people, qualifying going up. You see it? Mm -hmm. But I say it time and time again that I'm not talking about all white people. Mm -hmm. You do. But they take it personal, though. Well, you know, if you are part of the problem, you should take it personal. If you're not a part of the problem, you shouldn't take it personal because I shouldn't have to come on here every time that I'm on here and qualify. I ain't talking about all white people. I've said that a million times. But who got the time to sit up and point out that 2% that are good white folks as opposed to that 98% that participate in keeping their they feet on our throats? I ain't got the time. And mainly it's the system and who is running the system. White people. They ain't objecting to it. You see? When we say, and I will say one thing, when white people, because see, I know most white people in this country loathe black people, particularly black people with intelligence and black people that may have some influence based on the accumulation of capital. There ain't very much changed from that perspective. Okay? But if you go throughout the world, just limited it to this country, all right, you look at what's going on in Africa, and many white people who are profoundly ignorant and just see the surface will point to black people killing black people, just like they do to us here. But there's not a, a place where black people are killing black people in this country. And for the most part, around the world, well, I couldn't sit down 
with one of these ignorant white people with an open mind and show them how it's really the policies of white people that are producing what you see going on in the black community. But mine, with the system of white supremacy, raises people with closed minds. That's Judeo-Christian ethic. That's what that is. That's closed-mindedness. These German Jews are the chosen people, even though you can't find no semblance of them nowhere in Africa. They have placed themselves there, and you even got Irish people who saying that they're the, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just literally unbelievable, the things that I read where people are infusing themselves into places and discussions where the history don't even show them at all until a certain point. And that certain point is based on them coming into African countries with weapons, conquering African people. And then they go about their business of changing or attempting to change the history, which is where we are today, which is why I'm in this thing called the Bible, to show people. And I've given literal examples of other white people, and this is what I mean about not all white people, because I'm quoting from 99% white people's stuff. 99%. White people who are honest enough to say, that, wait a minute, these are black people. These are African people. But when you take a people's culture and language and heritage and then hung, hang them and, and deny them and, and, you know, everything you can, you can when the last time you seen white people just shot down in the street the way you see seeing black people being shot down in the street? I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but even white people will admit that that's atrocious. It's atrocious. And so a small group of white people will go out and make their presence known. And then what happens? Because, see, we got example after example. What happens in response to the few white people who get together with the black people and go and protest what's going on? You've got just mounds of white people who began to organize themselves on the other side to protect the murderers that are in their midst because they just white people. They don't know them, but they white people, and they keep what they perceive as the hordes of black people off of them. That's the reality. That's the reality. And you pick a killing, and you will see it manifest itself because what happens? Those white cops, those white people, all of a sudden become millionaires overnight in terms of donations and things that are given them by other white people. Is that not correct? That's true. And and jobs and different positions and yes, to fight their cases. And that's in, that's in spite of the fact that not a single solitary one of these people have been sent to prison. And the only one that has did less than a year, and they let him out. And that was the one who killed the unarmed black youth on his knees in San Francisco, inside the the uh, the, the on his knees, and then tried to say he thought his gun was a taser, so he shot him in the head. He did less than a year, and they let him out. 
I mean, so, you know. Go ahead, Ben. No, I was just saying, so um, getting to the Bible part. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm known to vent sometimes, but, I'm, again, it's all within the context because what you see going on now in terms of the persecution of African people is emblematic and symbolic of what was going on thousands of years ago. And much of it, back then and today, is predicated predicated on our misunderstanding or our misreading of circumstances and events. And like yesterday, we went into the uh, uh, how much of the Bible was oriented towards body functions and organs, and 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 how much of it was. Uh, uh, related to the occult, okay, and the zodiac, and how uh, we've already gone over uh, some of the things in past programs uh, dealing with the hippocampus and uh, and the breakdown of Solomon's Temple and the pineal, et cetera, et cetera. And we went on to point out that some years ago we went into uh, looking at uh, the origin of the alphabet and numbers and how that impacted uh, and impacts on a lot of what we say and how we view things today. And that we went on to point out that uh, all of this was a, a part of a metaphysical reality in terms of how we view things, okay? And that if we don't get a, a grip side of the normal spectrum, uh, particularly today, uh, we're going to catch more hell. And I'm, I'm happy to say that there are many people who are waking up and are beginning to accept some harsh realities, okay, and how one of those realities, and uh, upon that reality, uh, we talked about the kundalini uh, being nothing more uh, in terms of its uh, resurrection, if you will, being uh, aligned with uh this whole notion of the resurrection of Christ, okay, or the Christ consciousness, okay, and that based on that, uh, one of the things that I termed was that the current church, spiritual abortion, that's what they are, and that you don't hear that word because the understanding in terms of that word, based upon them being told what's acceptable to teach and what's not acceptable to teach, very rarely you'll hear kundalini outside of some demonic reference. It basically, like like demonic references, sparks fear in people based on ignorance, okay? And that's why the ministers are spiritual abortionists because they will cut off any discussion of what kundalini really is because it's the Christ conscious resurrection. Uh, of the human body construct and that uh, we need to understand that because it's part of an overall uh, series uh, in terms of human events that have the origin in the ancient comedic sciences that we can go back and literally point to, uh, study, if you will, 
Uh, but of course, many of us to these ministers again, uh, they'll have you believe that these Arabs that are in that land today <laughs> are indigenous to the land <laughs> when nothing again could be further from the truth. And if you look beneath the surface in the bowels of many of these countries, I don't care if it's Egypt or, or Iraq uh, or uh, Syria, if you look at the very bowels of these countries, just like here, you'll find black people still there to this day. And when nowhere in terms of their religious perspective, but they too can trace their history going way back because they ain't went nowhere. They're just not in positions of control or authority. So you would think that all the Arabs don't look like Anwar Sadat, who look like my uncle, okay? Uh, you think they look like Hosni Mubarak, who looks like he came off one of the Latin American plantations or one of the Native American Indian plantations. Because that plays tricks on your consciousness. This is this is how and why it's so important to understand the esoteric nature. Not the exoteric, but the esoteric nature, the the metaphysical nature of many of the things that go on in scripture that basically uh postscribe uh, our vision of things going on in our everyday lives. And so when we stopped yesterday, we were into looking at the esoteric nature of the triangle in terms of it being able to unify male and female in matter and to have those two produce cosmic consciousness. And I was talking about and quoting from two particular articles, one being, uh, it's a two-part article entitled Hidden Symbols and Patterns in the Bible, Hidden Symbols and Patterns in the Bible, Part 1 and Part 2. And I had already uh, gone over the uh, a part of Part 1 in terms of dealing with the triangle being male, female, and the third side being um, the so-called serpent, all right? And I was into dealing with the pyramid pointing downward. And I noted several things. One of the things is that it pointed out in the part one of the article that both the serpent and the Messiah both have the same numerical value of 358. And how my research has taught me to see some of these numbers differently than the average person based on the research and nothing more. Uh, and that, that, that appeared to me to be part of the Fibonacci sequence, which again, uh, is expressly manifested in ancient Tibetan sciences through sacred geometry, even though it was subsequently, like so many other things, be named after an Italian later on when they discovered the knowledge. Thousands of years later, they took it and named it after themselves. And that's part and parcel 
of the things that I was talking about earlier, where a lot of what we see is based on what we see and not on what we know. And if you see things and you don't know nothing, then you take that literally. And that's why we got people who see Scripture and are as blind as a bat, can't see nothing. (laughs) And again, I'm not talking about everybody, but I think that the family would agree with me that we got a religious problem in the black community because we grab a hold to them and we stick our chest out and we beat the hell out of each other over one of the three. And I'll be damned if any of them can show me where they, we've really prospered to any meaningful degree based on any of it. I defy anybody. I know they're little, small little groups, enclaves of people who say this did wonders for me. And that's fine. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying as a collective, it hasn't dug us out of this pit that we seem to be in here. Ever the reason we tend to grab and squeeze and hold on to them more than anybody else, anybody else. And in some cases, it becomes a crutch. We use that to basically nullify the things that we don't know. And then we get angry at other people who will delve into a particular religious construct and find out things, even people that are part of our own particularly religious uh, belief system. Uh, One group of Muslims uh, uh, battle another group of Muslims because this group of Muslims found out something that the other group of Muslims didn't know about. So, boom, there's a war going on. And how many times we've seen that? I've been out here for 62 years Thursday, okay? I got an anniversary coming up in a couple of days. But in them 62 years, this is what I've seen over and over and over and over. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sister Bell. I just said happy anniversary. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm lucky to be here. Or maybe it's not luck. Maybe it's as things should be. So, anyway, I was talking about this, this downward uh, triangle, and we pointed out that you've got a, a triangle pointing up and a triangle pointing down inside your body automatically, Okay. And so when we go through these things, we again, we are talking about processes that basically are taking place inside the human body. Now, I'll tell you what was interesting for me today. I did a, a, a pretty decent amount of research into this word uh, because I wanted to find out what it was, and I didn't think I would need to go and dig up my Hebrew, my Hebrew uh, dictionary, find out what this word meant, but I think I am because whenever I put this word into my search engine, uh, S-J-E-M-E-N. And if you recall, yesterday I said that from my research, assuming, because I've done a lot of it and I've done research in this area, I'm assuming that it's basically saying semen. I was told as well that it could mean Yemen. So in a cursory manner, just a you know precautionary manner, I went and did a little research without my Hebrew uh, dictionary. And when I put the word into my engine, Semen kept coming up, S-E-I-M-E-N. And anybody in the family can do that for themselves, okay? But that's the word that kept coming up, not Yemen, although Yemen did come up because the J and the Y can be uh, uh, transposed 
okay? Uh, one can take the place of the other. So I just found it to be quite interesting because that word is associated with an anointing oil, okay, an anointing oil. And I find it interesting that in the lower crevices of the human body, there's this oily substance that come out of us in terms of the male genitalia called semen. And they're talking about that process uh, within the uh, context of of, this, of a descending a descending nature of man in this particular triangle. So that descension is heading downward. So again, I'm gonna next week I'll have my my uh, dictionary, so we'll be able because I'm gonna need it uh, for this. But that's where we stopped yesterday in dealing with the. Uh, uh, this 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 three-sided triangle pointing down as a reflection of the three-sided triangle pointing upward. And I think where I stopped yesterday was right here, and it was dealing with, it said, the ascending side is associated with the Messiah and is connected to the number eight. That word, S-J-E-M-E-N, semen, Another spelling for it is S-J-M-O-N-A, also equals the number. And you know, Sister Bear, we've gone through that number eight over and over with the the, the various phases in birth, uh, uh, the eight-sided octagon of CERN, (laughs) and that eight just keeps coming up over and over and over within the context of the last year of the research that we were doing. But I don't want to leave it at that eight because I think that the three, four, and seven, which is uh, which are ancient numbers that have been worshipped in ancient African societies and still is to this day for many, many uh, millennia, okay, they say that uh, that ascending side is connected to the number eight. The first phase is called the eighth day, followed by a ninth day, which is uh, connected with perfection of the three lower planes so that the initiate can return to the oneness of the tenth day. And what they're really describing here is a pyramidal process. And so I went back into the crevices of my research and saw that as being aligned with the A, the M, and the N when we dealt with the alpha, beta, numerics. And I won't go through the whole thing again. People just have to consult the program yesterday and for better understanding what I'm talking about. But they went on here to say that the point where these sides meet, the two ascending sides with the triangle pointing down, is the seventh day, the halfway point, or it's three and a half of 350. It's the three and um, yeah, the three and a half or 350, and what they mean is what they mean is the 350. If three and a half is half of it, then the whole of 350 would be 700, and that's uh, a symbolic of the seventh day because the two zeros really don't. And the seventh day, when that process is supposedly completed, is really talking about the seven uh, uh, chakras, the seven shields being seven seals being open, okay? 
and that that three and a half is really kundalini or the Christ consciousness that lies dormant uh, at the base of our spines where it's waiting to be anointed. The anointment comes with kundalini rising and that uh, uh, process is predicated on cerebral spinal fluid flowing from the lower crevices of the human body to the brain to basically oil, anoint the what we know as the 12 tribes that gather around the tabernacle. But the 12 tribes gathering around the tabernacle where God is, is actually the 12 cranial nerves around the brain. The tabernacle is symbolic of the brain. Some of the research that we talked about some time ago, uh, we talked about the temple structure has an outer place, uh, an outer place called the Holy of Holies, uh, or called the Holy Place. It has uh, another area called the Holy of Holies right next to each other. And that's from basically the neck to the head around in that area, the chest area to the head. And that if you uh, recall, we talked about the thing that separated them was a veil. It's Solomon's temple, okay? And if you look at any structure of Solomon's temple, that's what you'll see. But what they're really talking about is the human brain again in that the human brain has a uh, a portion of it that's called dura matter. And another name for it is hard mother. It's the outer covering of the brain. And connected to it is what's called the pia matter. Pia matter, which is the uh, inner, more sensitive, the tender area or it's called tender mother of the brain. And those two parts of the brain, in terms of the uh, Solomon's Temple being uh, an example or symbolic of what's going on inside the body, those two areas are separated by its own veil or curtain, as it's called in Solomon's Temple, called the arachnoid. The arachnoid is made like a spider web. And you probably recall, Sister Bear, when we were dealing with uh, Supernova 1987A, we pointed all these things out. So we were able to show the relationship between what's going on on the planet, what's going on off the planet, and what's going on in the cosmos as being part a cosmic kundalini occurrence where the eye of God is manifesting itself, changes to the people on the planet. Now, what's interesting is if you draw a cross and put a circle in the middle of that cross, that 
particular symbol is one of the most worshipped forms of the cross in terms of Judeo-Christian dogma. That cross with the sun in the middle. And that that portion with the sun in the middle is really symbolic of Jesus being the sun, S-O-N, where it's been changed uh, from the sun, S-U-N. And that if you take that cross and put to the le- to the right side of that cross, make that the east, to the left side of that cross, make that the west, at the top of that cross, make that north, and at the bottom, make that south. What you will find is that particular construct is basically uh, uh, once you put uh, and separate or divide the 12 tribes into each particular sector, such that each sector is equal, meaning you're going to have three in each sector, north, south, east, and west. That becomes the 12 tribes or symbolic of the 12 tribes around the tabernacle. And, those, of course, those 12 tribes represent the 12 cranial nerves. And each particular point that would add up the 12 are presentative of the 12 zodiac signs, the zodiac circle. So you begin to see that they're one and the same thing. But then you go and look in Scripture and you see that the eastern portion is the right side. The eastern portion is the right side. So at the from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, as you look at that thing, that will be considered the right side or the right hemisphere of the brain. That's the right hemisphere of the brain. So you can see certain parts of the zodiac are emblematic of the right hemisphere of the brain. It's called the wilderness because God lives in what we know as the desert, but is really dealing with the mind. So when Moses is wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, they're talking about, because no Moses ever existed, they're talking about the processes that occur in the head, okay? And that even this place that we know as the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden in the right hemisphere. And the reason that that is, the right side of the brain has a particular function. It's the, the, the spiritual side of the brain. The eastern side of, of the brain is the spiritual side of the brain. So the Garden of Eden being in the right hemisphere of the brain is the spiritual side where meditation occurs. Okay? And you'll hear things like a river that's flowing from Eden, from the right hemisphere of the brain, into the forehead. And you got people out here literally looking because they're looking for things outside of the human body. What they're not understanding that those foreheads 
is a metaphor for the four ventricles of the human brain where cerebral spinal fluid flows. That's where and that's what the river is referring to. And it gets even deeper, Sister Bear, because we are also told, according to Scripture, that Judah is in the right side where the Israelites supposedly made their camp. That, too, never happened. They're really talking about the right side of the brain where meditation occurs, the left side, which is the domain of the intellect, where a lot of arguing goes on because when you're intellectual, that implies a study, arguing. You have to literally argue with yourself. But in the right side, you let all of that go in meditation. There is no argument, okay? And that you also find that, and you'll find this extremely interesting as well as important, particularly from an ancient Kemetan perspective, that the peak of the sun and it camping out in the right side is on June the 21st every year, the longest day of the year. It's called the summer solstice. And when you add the six months, to the 21st, what number do you come up with, Sister Bell? Nine. You do come up with nine, don't you? Yep. The, the longest day of the year. And then let's go to the shortest day, right? Because we went through some of this before. On December 21st, that's supposed to be the shortest day of the year, right? The winter solstice. And as we pointed out some time ago, that's the point that's known as the crucifixion, the shortest day of the year. Now, as we go on, the crucifixion is going to get much more, much clearer. Now that you have that understanding, you'll begin to see when you hear things like crucifixion and circumcision and things of that nature, they're talking about something wholly different than what we've been talking what we've been led to believe and that we've been taught that these things are literal. So what do we do? We go and basically circumcise males and females from a literal understanding of what's being said. Cue somewhere here, family, if I can, let me, let me, let me go back here. Uh, I hope everybody understands. I'm trying to go slow with this stuff uh, so that people can really understand what I'm talking about because I know how difficult this can be. i got to go back to this other article, the one I just hidden symbols and patterns in the Bible, part one. Here's what they say here. They say when David is anointed by King Samuel, Samuel anoints him with oil, uh, semen or Yemen, and number eight, that's in parentheses. He, is, he brought with him in a horn, uh, which another word for the horn is Karen, K-E-R-E-N. It has a numerical value of 350, which together make up the number 350. So the horn, Karen, 
and the oil, uh, semen, which has a value of number eight added together, gives you 358. So what does that mean? They say, so David and the process he stands for is symbolically the first Messiah. Symbolically the first Messiah. Because now he has the same numerical value, 358. But David can also be the serpent, because the serpent and the Messiah both have numerical value of 358. It's like darkness and light, one and the same thing. Let me go on. They say the eight is the semen, the olive oil, produced by crushing olives called the sixth fruit or the fruit of the sixth day between the heavy stones of an oil press, which is called Gatsman or Gethsemane, Gethsemane, we see that the process of the symbolic number seven uh, to get from six to eight, uh, the process of Gethsemane of Golgotha is that this process represents crucifixion of the ego. The seven at the lowest point also symbolized by the cross, which has a numeric value of 400 or four, this, where this process takes place. When it's finished and the oil has been produced, the Messiah can be anointed and start ascending, the rise of the Kundalini. Now, keep in mind that oil would have to be already down there at the very base in order for it to affect Kundalini to make it rise, okay? And that's why I came to the conclusion that this is a, a byproduct a sexual fluid that we know as semen, okay? Uh, the male essence. They go on here to say, uh, under the Star of David, both triangles, so now they're looking at both the triangle pointing up and down in terms of uh, its representation. Uh, they say both triangles describe the growth of consciousness, but also the Star of David. They say the upward triangle symbolizes the female principle, the uterus, and matter. And the downward pointing triangle symbolizes the male principle and spirit. So you see here they are now beginning to bring the uterus into the conversation. So that in order for the uterus to have significance, it must uh, 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 be part and parcel of the spirit, which is the male principle, having an impact on it. So they say the spirit descending into matter and matter rising up to meet spirit. Again, that's the process of the M-A-E or the A-M-N, which is, in fact, a triangle uh, based upon uh, our alphabet, uh, uh, which basically uh, has spiritual significance as well based on that concept that I explained yesterday. They close by saying, the Christ is at the top and the bottom of the Star of David. And we've been led to believe that the downward cross or the downward triangle is symbolic of evil. But within the context, your understanding, I'm going to repeat this last uh, uh, line. The Christ is at the top and at the bottom 
of this star of David. Now, what does that mean? That means that people that got the history don't have any do's and don'ts. What they have, based on their behavior, is understanding. And they feel that that's all they need. Okay? Now, I'm going to leave that, and I'm going to go to part two. Again, this is the hidden symbols and patterns inside the Bible, part two. And they say in this particular, you want to say something, Sister Bell? Yeah. So what they're saying is that the semen, the, the milky uh, substance that's at the spine, and it's also in the pineal gland. Yes. In the brain, it's called the cloud. You hear him talking about Jesus coming on the cloud. That's when Kundalini resurrects, and that cerebral spinal fluid fills the brain. In the cosmos, we know it as the Milky Way. But what they're really telling you is they're explaining to you the processes in the cosmos are exactly the same as those in the head, and that uh, parts of the scriptures are only referencing those realities. It came last. The scriptures came last. They didn't come first. The cosmos was already there. Man was already there. And then comes the scriptures. It's like in ancient Kemet, when they build the pyramids, basically uh, building references of the human body. But the body is already there before the temples are built. The same with Solomon's temple. And again, that capstone ain't missing. It's based upon enlightenment. And so as I, as I continue to point out, the processes today are attempting to neutralize the whole process of enlightenment that comes from the cosmos that will allow for uh, the capstones to be lit. That's the pineal gland because the, the, the pyramids are... All other parts of the human body is, is represented in the building, but the capstone, the eye of Peru, is missing. It's not really missing. It's enlightened when the people become enlightened. During the class and Christian ethic as the second coming. The second coming is re-enlightenment. Is an adjust, a readjustment or an adjustment of our thinking based on spiritual access, which causes the process of enlightening to occur inside the human body, the reignition of the pineal gland. So the drugs and all of these things are basically to neutralize that process from taking place, along with geoengineering the planet, blocking out the rays of the sun. I hope I hope that's understandable. I, yeah. I know it's difficult, but, you know, that's where we are because to read this and not to be able to apply it to what's going on today is useless to me. Personally, it's useless. So uh, I, I hope that justifies or, you know, explains where we're going here. And that's why I'm dealing with this because I think that at some point in 2016, like, the longest day of the year is the number nine. I think that nine in terms of the uh, numerical value of 2016 is going to manifest itself. 
into what the nine really is all about. I see that happening. I could be wrong. You know, I'm nobody's genius, and, you know, I don't, you know, I'm just telling people what I see. I can't do any more than that part here uh, because it points out in here that in, first, in part one we looked at the sacred triangle, the inverted triangle, and the star of David. They say these symbols represent the descent of consciousness and its ascent or its rising as it pertains to Jesus and his genealogy, the symbol of a cross inside a circle. That's that cross you see in old school religious dogma, okay? That's what that cross represents. They say when we look at the, at the descent and ascent of consciousness as a circle with a cross inside, we see two levels of descent and ascension at the same time. The cross inside a circle was associated with Christ's disciples. That's what I just got through dealing with, okay? Uh, that was called the consecration of the rounded cross. Remember, 12 disciples represent 12 qualities of the soul. The same with the 12 tribes of Israel. The same story is in both the Old and New Testament. Then they go on and say, let's break down the two levels of descent and ascension uh, at the same time within this symbol, the uh, circle with the cross inside. They say, first, the circle. It represents the gradual descent of the human who slowly descends along the line of the circle and becomes enslaved at the bottom. That's 180 degrees. After their delivery from slavery, which is symbolized by Egypt, they follow under Moses, which is the, uh, they follow the ascending curve of the circle, slowly getting more control over their ego and emotions, because at the bottom of that circle, it's very difficult to ascend to the top unless you got something pushing you. They say after 40 years in the desert, they continue to process the reign of David, which is another 40 years. Solomon concludes the process. He is, he is said to belong to the eighth generation after Exodus. But what they're really talking about is the production of that semen, which is the number eight, or Yemen, depending on which one you want to believe, the 40, or which one you want to accept, the 40 years of of Moses and the 40 years of David basically add up to the number eight, the conclusion of the process, okay, that they term the exodus, which never happened, the literal exodus. It's leaving one state of mind and going to another. Then they go on to say this, second, the cross within the circle. They say, notice that the two lines are already in balance and that within this symbol, Jesus, or the Christ consciousness uh, has just been born if, and follows this process by proceeding downward in a straight line, conquering ego and emotion right away and arriving at the bottom in full command, having produced the oil for the anointment during the last and bitter phase of the descent. And again, the cross is nothing more than a symbolic representation of the union between male and female. So again, that S-J-E-M-E-N appears to have uh, sexual reference in terms of semen, okay? Can ascend along the same line instantly. 
but remains with the people another 40 phases, like Moses, who guides them in the desert. Moses ascends from Nebo, which has a numeric value of 50, and then they put dash Bo, E-O. So N-E has a numeric value of 50, and then Bo. Because the higher awareness was was long since in him, while the people continued their journey through the promised land. Then they say, if you remember, Jesus stayed with his disciples for 40 days before ascending from the mountain of Olives, from the Mount of Olives, having risen by producing the oil. Okay? Uh, they say both Moses and Jesus ascend from a mountain, uh, climbing a mountain, which is a symbol of raising one's awareness. The names of the mountains describe the way of ascending for Jesus and the ascension that had taken place in terms of Moses. They say, thus, the cross with arms of equal length is a symbol that describes the process of balancing on a higher level. Fiction, okay, here's where it gets tricky. The cross of crucifixion as Teslev, T-S-E-L-A-V, equals Tesel, T-S-E-L, right? Teslev equals Tesel which has a numeric value of two, is the world of duality. The fiction, as Kessel, two, is the world of duality. It symbolizes the process of growth on a lower level. The result enables the one who has brought it to a successful end to engage in the process on a higher level. He or she can then help his or her fellow man who got stuck at the bottom of their cycle by giving them the push that they need to continue ascending. Then they say, Jesus is portrayed as being born in Bethlehem. Watch this, family. They say, remember, the three wise men came to visit him after he was born. Here come we come with this three. They came to visit him after he was born, and they were alerted to his birth by a star. These three wise men apparently know what the birth of this child means by the presence that they bring him, and they inform his parents what his task is going to be and what his life is going to be like. They bring him are gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which are called in Hebrew Zahab, Z A H A V, that's for gold, uh, Levana, L O L E V O N A H, which is frankincense, and more, which in Hebrew is myrrh. Okay? They then say gold, Zahab, 
has a numeric value of 752. It's the first gift that symbolizes, it's the first gift that symbolizes the first and most precious of the metals, the spirit. When we know that gold has always been associated with the highest value in terms of values on the planet. And in ancient Kemet, it was seen as such as well, okay? And that's because it symbolizes the spirit, which is the essence of man. Its numeric value is 14. It's the symbol of action, the number of the integrating and balancing principle of David, who also has numeric value of 464, which is 14. Then, Levana, Levana, which is the frankincense, which has a numeric value of 32, 6, 50, and 5. They say the frankincense symbolizes the heart, which in Hebrew means lev, L-E-V. That's the beginning of Levana, okay? And love. This is connected by the hook of the 6. That's why you, now you see the 6 in that number, to the number 50. So the the number 6 hooks you to the number 50, which symbolizes high awareness. It symbolizes high awareness. And the 14th character uh, is the 14th character of the Hebrew alphabet, okay? And so they say the number, the hook of the number 6 to the number 50 uh, takes you to the final five because uh, it's 32, 6, 50, and 5. And that the final five symbolizing the, symbolizes the longing for reunion and integration of the counterparts. And I know some of this is very, but here's what I want you to understand, family. As we go on, this is going to become clearer. I promise you, okay? That's why I'm going slow now because I'm just planting the seeds now. It's going to get a lot clearer as we go on, including the numeric values because I'm going to go back and refer to these numeric values based on these particular points that we're making here now. So we come to the third uh, gift brought by uh, the three wise men, which was myrrh, which is more in Hebrew, M-O-R, it has a numeric value of 40 and 200, which is 6, really. They say uh, it's the same word as mar, M-A-R, which is bitter. It symbolizes the bitterness that has to be eaten, digested, before growth can take place. And then that growth can be considered sweet or tamar. T-A-M-A-R, which has a numeric value of 400 M-A-R. And it also means date, not picking somebody up kind of date, but date as in a sweet fruit. It becomes a date afterwards, but at the beginning it's bitter because the process of going undergoing Evolutionary spiritual change is a bitter process at the beginning during the resurrection of the kundalini. 
and it becomes sweet once the process is complete. Okay? They say these gifts collectively symbolize the totality that Jesus will have to go through during his life, before resurrection and ascension. They also symbolize the processes that we have to go through before we can become or before Christ can be born in us, the spirit can be born in us. And they close by saying some of the symbols, some of the symbols uh, in the garden, uh, I, I now want to look at some of the symbols in the Garden of Eden. I'm not sure if I'm going to go there if I'm going to hold on to that because that's going to take us to the – how much time do we have, Sister Bear? About 10 minutes. Okay, wow. Okay, uh, this is very – exacting and commanding. I'm not sure if I should go here or hold on to this because we they really get into the numbers. But again, you begin to see connections in terms of words that are being used and to understand another point of view of the uses of those words based on their numeric value. Because once you see the numeric value, has different meaning because it also can be other words. The whole picture of what we've been told changes because the numeric value is what's important in terms of the words. They have dual meanings, okay? And that it becomes painfully clear that whoever constructed these things that we call scriptures were keenly aware of these facts and chose to use deceit. Some called it metaphors, but metaphors can literally be looked at as very deceitful. You're hiding something, like a rap song that old school people don't understand because they ain't into young school context. But if you understand, if you understood the metaphor, you would understand what many of the rappers have been saying for many years. Well, the same applies for scripture. The metaphors are there because if you ain't a part of the culture, if you ain't done the study, you're not supposed to know. You're not supposed to know. Remember yesterday, Sister Bear. I put on the table this whole notion of the H in three and removing it and somehow coming to the letter tree, or coming to the word tree, okay? And how, to me, in looking at other words where uh, 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 those letters manifest themselves have to be connecting they have to be connecting because tree gives off this thing called fruit. And though the fruit fall from the tree, it's still connected, right? And that is why we say things like the fruit don't fall too far from the tree. I, I hope the family understands because your offspring are fruit. They are you. Trees produce fruit. Another word for that is pre, P-R-I in Hebrew. It's also a symbol for fertility and growth. 
and descent into matter. This fruit was meant to be eaten, which is another hidden symbol in the Bible. These trees were good for food, the operative word being good, which is another hidden symbol. And in Hebrew, a tree is etz, E-T-S, etz. And it has a numerical value of 70 and 90. 70 is a symbol of multiplicity, and 90 symbolizes birth. Seven is the symbol for multiplicity. That's male and female, the three and the four coming together to make seven, right? And 90 symbolizes birth after a long process. That's the number nine. Going to be produced in 2016 after a long process. Pay close attention to June 21st, 2016. Pay close attention to June 21st, 2016. Now, don't ask me why I'm saying that. I'm saying that because that's what I'm seeing. They say Sarah, again, symbolic, was 90 when she gave birth to Isaac. Let me say that again. 90 symbolizes birth after a long process. Sarah was 90 when she gave birth to Isaac. None of these people existed. These are metaphors. So a tree produces multiplicity, symbolized by the fruit, which has to be eaten and digested by man to give birth to Christ's consciousness. They say to eat. In Hebrew, is a call, A-C-H-A-L, which has numeric value of 1, 20, and 30, which, again, is the number 6. Or another way to pronounce it is a call, a call. To eat means to absorb food and to digest it symbolically. The second phase means to digest and come to terms with whatever happened in your life and with your emotions, to reconnect with the oneness of the love, to reconnect with the oneness of love by bringing call, everything, back to it, of love. This enables growth. It's not an easy process, and that's why the word good is brought into it. Good is tov, T-O-V, and has a numeric value of 962. The total numeric value is 17. 17 is the symbol for the last bitter phase of this process, which leads to a bright new world. That is why Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery by his brothers because Joseph was crucifying his ego. He had already went through the process to become a re- not to become a real slave, but that he got the position 
later on, after undergoing that process, he will subsequently get to the position of becoming the uh, a co-ruler of Misraim or Egypt, which is the realm of ego and matter. They say trees are an important symbol, but et, E-T-S, also an element of many other words. And then they go into some of the words having to do with ets and that kind of thing. They then go into the tree of good and knowledge. They say, man, he's from the tree of good and knowledge, of, he's from the tree of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and that God tells both Adam and Eve that they will experience sorrow. That's in Genesis 3 and verses 16 and 18. And in the Hebrew uh, text, there were two words that were used for sorrow. One is etsif, E-T-S, which means trees, and etsavon, or etsavon, I-T-S-A-V-O can see. This becomes, if you allow it, it will tie you up in knots <laughs> if you allow it. But if you open your mind, and hear the things that I'm reading, not that you necessarily have to understand everything now, because there are people that's been reading that Bible for a thousand, matter of fact, 2,000 years, well, close to 2,000, and they still don't get it. As we go on, these words, like the tree of knowledge that you eat from, are going to reveal themselves to you. So don't worry about it. Now we're at the beginning, like the process of of, of evolution or ascension. You you're not going to get it at the beginning. It's bitter. It's toward the end of the process that the understanding sinks in, and then it becomes sweet. <laughs> okay. So we are I'm using our uh, Robert X. Okay, well, if we got any calls, I, I'll stop right there and, and take some calls. I don't expect we're going to have any today because I think that we kind of left everybody in a knot. I should have not went off into that tangent earlier, but I have to go where I feel sometimes. And well, I'm yeah. sure the family understands. Okay, yeah, let's, go get let's go get them. Let's go get them. Okay. Go. Uh, three, four, seven, eight, oh, five. Seven, eight, oh, five. Okay. Oops. Doing the best. Hello. Hey, Beverly, how are you this evening? Great, great. Oh, uh, just wanted to say um, thank you for Robert X for coming on and um, dropping so much information as normal. And I know that you're a brother of modesty, but you truly are a genius. I think um, you totally changed the way I read the news from the first time I heard you and um, how I interpret the information. I just wanted to know, um, what did you think about the Deakers report? Uh, say that again. The Deakers report. D-E-A-K-E-R-S. Oh, you have to explain that one to me. I missed that one. It's um, a report from a defense contractor, and um, they have the 2030 population estimates, and um, the population of the United States is like 50-something million. Britain is, like, cut in half. France is cut in half. However, 
and the economies are all shattered, but um, all the BRIC nations' economies are huge. Well, I'm going to be honest If you look up um, the the Deakers report and just um, read it and just look at the um, populations, uh, I just want to know if you can come on the next time and just explain what you think they're trying to say. It looks to me like they're trying to say it's a war. Mm -hmm. Spell it again. Spell that word again. Sure. It's um, Deakers, D-E-A-K-E-R-S. D-E-H-A-E-R-S. No, D-E-A. D-E-A. D. D E A K E R S Deakers. D E A K E R S Deakers. I got you. Deakers. And, um, 2030. 22. Um, two, 2030. Right. Well, let me add this to what you just said. Uh, and not even reading the report. Mm-hmm. I know 20, 2030 is a point of contention, and it should be for all humanity, because that was the the whole justification for the Pope coming here, speaking to Congress and going mm-hmm. to the UN to basically put in place uh, uh, psychologically this whole notion of the acceptance of 2030 under the auspices of what I've been screaming about for over 20 years called sustainable development. Now, I think it's also interesting that the number that you quoted are the exact same numbers that we talked about, I think, in 2014 uh, on Sister Beverly's program in terms of uh, this stone monument in in Georgia that has mm-hmm. those numbers that I forget the name of that. I'm running a blank on that stone monument that's supposed to mimic the same uh, stone hinge in Europe where Obama went in 2014 when we were doing the presentation on Obama being the uh, uh, the re-manifestation or the, manif- the reoccurrence, the reproduction of, uh, of uh, Akhenaten, that he's a clone of Akhenaten, and that when he went to Stonehenge, the Georgia Guidestone, those population figures show up on the Georgia Guidestones. And at that particular point in time, the Georgia Guidestones were very prominent in media because somebody had added something to them, a number of years of them basically just sitting there dormant and people just coming there read them. Somebody decides to add another block with cryptic letters and numbers written on the block. And those numbers that you quoted, are the exact numbers that are written in terms of population on the Georgia Guidestone. So I'm going to have fun reading this Deaker's report, I can assure you, and I will report back to the family what I find. Okay, Robert X, I know we don't have a lot of time. Uh, your call, 708-829. Great. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, this is Eddie Harris. Right quick. Uh, Hold up there, Brother Rob. I just wanted to comment on a couple things you said earlier and uh, and at the end. You were trying to figure out other words that they use that we've uh, basically jumped on that wasn't here before. One of the words are called the race card. 
that came out of nowhere, and now we're using that, and they're using that against us because it ain't no game that we're playing, and they're calling it a, a, the race card. Uh, number they one got, is they got they got fifty one cards. There's fifty two oh, yeah. cards in the deck. They got fifty one. You play one, and then they look at you as if you've done something wrong, and they got the other fifty one cards to play with. That's right. Uh, another one dealing with the weather. We started hearing. Uh, Several years ago, uh, El Nino. Now we're hearing polar vortex. We didn't hear no. none of this nonsense before. Yeah, but here's the, here's the problem with that, Eddie. Those uh-huh. are only used in in specific circumstances, having to do with conversations, having to do with weather and that kind of thing. The weather. But, but again, what, I was saying we've never word. heard that until uh, the last ten to fifteen years with this El Nino and polar vortexes. Right, right. I got you, but that's that's not what I'm saying. Okay. What okay. I'm saying is there are words that are used in the general discussion, words that are used in the general discussion no matter what the topic is. And that's why I mentioned thrown under the bus because okay. it didn't matter what the topic was, that phrase would always come up. There's another one that everybody's using today. That for some reason is you know it's, run, it's skipping my mind because it's probably because I've been studying other stuff all day long. Uh, but this is a word or a phrase that people use. I mean, just over and over. And I mentioned it right here on the program before. Is it? Uh, it is what it is. That's one of them. Okay, but that ain't okay. that ain't it. Okay. That's not it. And so as a result, you you'll never hear me using those terms. Right. That's why I never use you never hear me say those terms because I understand the programming. Mhm. And I'm advising other people to challenge the programming by not allowing these people to insert these words into your mind without you questioning where they come from. Because they are in fact a part of a psychological program. Exactly. And they can they can determine where you are in your mentality. This is what, this is how Facebook works. They can determine how you are in terms of your mentality, but by the words that you use. They can determine if you're easily programmable or if you're not as easily programmable. Thank you, Addy. Okay. Okay, Robert, I'm going to do another one here. Uh, 843610. 8, 4, 3, 6, 10. Greetings, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Greetings. How's everybody? Greetings, Beth. Greetings. Brother Robert. Uh, uh, who who was that who was put this in the bodies? Was that um, Joseph, you said? Uh-oh, I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding. What'd you say? The, uh, yeah. the, the brother that they was, the brother that they was, uh, they sold into bondage. Joseph? The brother that they sold into bondage. Yeah. They sold him to Egypt, supposedly, in the Bible. Yeah. You spoke. Yeah. That. How, many brothers was, with. how many brothers was it total? Uh, that I couldn't tell you. As far as I know, it was just him. Do you know there were others that was closer? No, 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 no. I mean, uh, overall, he was the only one sold in the bondage, but how many brothers were there? That's what I'm. That's the question. Ah, oh, man. I'm going to have to pick that one up. Okay. Do you know? Okay. No, I believe it was. Uh, there's a total of nine. Going back to that nine again. That's wow. another reason my ex. Wow. You know? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to go there, and also, um, I think it's in Philippians. It says that these, 
this book is allegory or something like that. The terms in this book is allegory. Yes. So that means just like what you're saying. It's, it says one thing, but it actually means another. Then what the eyes let them see, then what the ears let them hear. Right. Yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's basically steeped in dual meaning everywhere. Gear that's done like that to basically throw you off because only the initiated are supposed to really have the understanding. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I definitely appreciate you. Um, I've told a few of my uh, brothers we have these kind of discussions with, um, but they listen to the archives, so, you know, I, it's hard to get them on so they could um, break bread with you, you know, as yes, far sir. as the things that they've studied and know. But um, I definitely appreciate you. I just I just want to say those two things. Uh, I appreciate you. Looking forward to well, you know, you you know the feeling. Yes, sir. I'll be right back here next Monday because it's going to require consistency uh, because this stuff is long. I will be back next Monday and next Tuesday. And and uh, it's it's going to require repetition because a lot of this stuff is so intricate that I'll, you'll find me going back and bringing back stuff up. That's why I'm going back to uh, forms that Beverly and I did a year, two years ago in some cases to reinsert information from that point to help in the understanding of things that we're dealing with now. Awesome. Thank you, Paula. Awesome. Thank you, Sister Thank Bev. You, I'm going to put that uh, June 21st on my calendar also. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Robert X, we're not going to keep you. Uh, it's, it's 11 13, so we're going to let you go, and uh, we will meet back up at the same time next Monday and Tuesday. Uh, Sante Sanders, Sister Bev, Hotep family, Hotep, Sister Bev. Hotep. All right, everyone, come back the same time next Monday, next Tuesday. Robert X will continue uh, taking us down uh, this journey here. So peace and much, much love, and I appreciate everyone. breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. and pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it.